kind of brings back memories. Coming here as a young person and young guys we used to run around with and do things with. I was glad to see Kevin's here this weekend. I haven't connected him with yet, but uh, used to stay at their place one weekend. Eric and I are kind of a few years apart, kind of a different... We didn't connect as young people, but we do connect to Bible school. And he's dean, and I'm one of the teachers our first term for the last several years. And so we've been wanting to come down and visit Eric's. And so this was, we were actually planning on coming down to visit. We just hadn't called him yet to tell him we were going to come. And then he called and asked me if I would come this weekend. So we're, we were very glad to be here. Uh, as I think about Northwoods, one thing I think about is Maranatha Bible School. I think of Dan, and I think of Eric, and, and just want to bless you as a church as you Bless those from here that go and, and serve at Bible school. I just challenge you in that. Thank you for that. And it's also good to see some Bible school students here, too, that I have taught over the years or been there while I've been there. It's Mother's Day. And Marlon made a comment this morning which kind of struck me. He says, Mother's Day is kind of a bittersweet day for them. He has a son, but somewhere there's a mother without her child. And that just kind of that just kind of struck me a little bit. We do foster care, and we have a little girl here with us, and her mother is behind bars this morning. And I just never thought of it—the fact that she's missing out today. And uh, but she did make a card in school, and the teacher said she could make it for her mother or someone she loved. And she says, "I'm going to make it for Tony." So I got a great big Mother's Day card. <laughs> so that's, that's special. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5 with some directions here for husbands and wives. Just because it's Mother Day doesn't mean that you men get off the hook. We're going to talk to you this morning as well. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. It's been said that the greatest gift a father can give to his children is to love their mother. Now, we could maybe say that loving the Lord would come in there first, and I'm not going to discount that. But one of the greatest things that you as a dad can do for your children is to love their mother. So don't feel guilty if you 
want to take your wife out on a date sometime, you just tell your children, you know, I'm loving your mother, okay? This is, this is important to you. Um, we think of things that dads do. And different dads... If you were thinking about your dad, you would say, you know, my dad did this. This thing stood out to you in your dad's things he did. Maybe you have things you purposefully do with your children. Todd was talking about some ways they do things in their house. My nephews, when they turn 12, their dad buys them a 22 rifle. That's just like a rite of passage, you know, and that's the way he does it. In our house, when our children turn 12, the boys, I take them on a trip overnight for a couple nights or something. They get to choose what they want to do. We generally go fishing, and the girls get to do something with mom when they turn 12. Kind of that, again, that rite of passage. This is what dad does. This is the thing that dad's known for. But the greatest thing that you can do for your child is not so much what you do for your child as what you do the way you love their mother, I think. This gives your child stability. It gives them an anchor. They know where they fit. They know that home is a good place to be. Our young people started a boys and girls club. And... They, the boys asked me if I would help out one year, and so I, I did for one year. And they have a three-strike system. The first strike is a warning. The second strike, you don't get snack. And the third strike, you don't come back the next time. And there was one little boy there, and he was just being a pest. He was just being ornery. And I think he got one strike before he ever got to boys' club that night. He got a strike in the van. And when they run a van, they run one driver and two in the back to keep them from beating each other up. Okay, maybe you're familiar with how that works. And he was just he was just being a jerk. I mean, he was just nasty. He was calling his brother obscene words and just being bad. And, and so I was sitting there and we were having snack after the story and lesson and he was just acting up and I... Finally, I said, strike two. And Jared Martin was behind me, and he kind of was heading boys club up. And when I said strike two, he backed me up, but he reached over my shoulder and grabbed his snack and took it away. You can't take my snack. I'm hungry. I, I don't have any supper, and that's what I'm going to have to eat. I, have to eat. I said, we're not trying to take your food away. We're not trying to make you hungry, but you disobeyed the rule. I have nothing to eat when I get home. The fridge is empty. I didn't have supper. I, I said, you don't have anything to eat? No, there's nothing to eat at home. Well, I says, tell you what. I'll stop and buy you food at McDonald's on the way home. We're not trying to take away your supper here. It was a cupcake or something. It wasn't supper. So, I took him home. He wouldn't let me stop at McDonald's. He, no, no, he but when I asked for directions to take him home, I found out that they picked him up on this side of town at Dad's house. And I dropped him off on this side of town where Mom just moved that day. Is there any wonder the little boy was acting up in boys' club? When you have a dad at home that loves your mom, your world is right side up. It's a wonderful place to be. People look at this passage and just think it's archaic. It's old. Written by men 2,000 years ago, and why do we listen to it now? 
It doesn't fit our times today. Oh, I tell you what, it does fit our times today. It's an anchor for our times today. It brings things back the way they should be. And notice here how it says you should love your wife. It doesn't just say love your wife. How should you love your wife? It says as Christ loved the church and Christ gave Himself. You know, Christ came from the glories and splendor of heaven. And he came down here and lived among men for 33 years and was willing to die for us. It wasn't fun. It wasn't a joyous occasion. I'm sure Jesus had good times while He was here, but it, compared to the glories of heaven they left, it was not a, a fun thing to do. And He came down here with the goal and the purpose of perfecting His bride. He wanted to make her to be the best that she could be. He wanted to make her to be lovely and glorious. He wanted to make her be fruitful and, and to be fulfilled in, in her life. And that, that bride is us as a church. And the reason that we have this hope within us is because of Jesus Christ and His love for us. Verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Love your wife just like yourself. You know, if you don't want to go out and in the rain and do something, don't send your wife out to do it. Love her just like you would yourself. I hope you, I hope you wouldn't do that. But you know, this is one of the hardest things a man will ever do. Is to love his wife as he loves himself. Because this isn't about romantic love where you're newly married and it's you're excited to get home and see your wife and, and then the newlyweds sit right close beside each other in church and I can never understand, well, why... You know, so why I was dating and my brother-in-law and his wife, you know, they'd sit in opposite sides of the room and visit. You know, why don't you sit beside each other? You know, that's... It's new and exciting. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. We're talking about sacrificial love. Not what I want, but that which brings joy to my wife, which helps her, which fulfills her. It's not just simply saying, okay, if that's what you want, let's let's do that. But it's it's the hard work of leading and helping my wife. Helping her be what she should be. It's not easy. If you think, I'm the man, I get to, I get to be in charge. You know, you're, you're nuts if that's what you think. It's not easy. Rick Rhodes tells a story, and I, I think it actually happened. He told it as such. So him and his wife discussed one day that they need to go get groceries, and so every night was busy except Thursday night. So he says, well, how about we go to town on Thursday night and we get groceries and then we'll stop at McDonald's on the way home and we'll have supper and, and we'll come home. Okay, good plan. So they tell the children, like, well, we don't want to go to McDonald's. Let's not do that, you know. And, and they all get moody and grumpy. or Maybe your kids really like McDonald's. Mine, mine don't really. Um, and they all got grumpy and whatever. And so his wife says, you know what, if they don't want to go to McDonald's, why, why should we, let's just not go. And Rick said, but we need groceries. And it's the only night it works. So we we got to like do it tonight. But if they don't want to do it, so if he says let's do it, they're grumpy. If he says they don't do it, we don't get food. He says there's no win-win situation. There's no way to, whichever way you choose, you lose. That's what dads have to do. That's what fathers have to do. That's what husbands have to do. They have to make decisions that are not easy. And it doesn't matter what you decide. Someone's going to be grumpy. Unless you're all mature, maybe you don't get grumpy. 
But leading is hard. But if you love your wife like that, if you love your wife as Christ loved the church, you will leave a legacy to your children like none. Don't have to have money, don't have to have fame, but you know what? These two little old people, people that pop in my mind is Amos Lehman, if you know Amos. You know, these two little old people, 90-some years old, and they just love each other. Now this morning, I'm going to venture that the greatest gift a mother can give to her children is that she would submit and reverence her husband. Uh, Maybe that wasn't what you want to hear on Mother's Day. Verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Oh, we like that. That sounds good. And the wife sees that she reverence her husband. She holds him up in esteem. It says earlier in the passage, it says to submit. Now, Mother's Day is, that's kind of one of those touchy-feely days, you know. We have flowers and cards and phone calls. And I called my mom this morning. I said, I never call you on Mother's Day because I'm always, I've, she lives right there and I see her in church Sunday morning, you know. So I called her this morning on Mother's Day. And we think of the mom in Sunday school. We talked about our mom some, you know, and the things that they mean, things they mean to us. You know, and the mom who got up at night when we're sick. And the mom who cried when she dropped us off at school the first day, and the mom who did the dishes and was the bookkeeper and cleaned the house and, you know, taught school and all these things that moms do. Ah, you know, moms are just sacrificial. Someone said, moms don't get hungry when there's only one piece of pie left and the others want it. You know, moms just aren't hungry for pie anymore. What? I can't imagine that's really true. I think they probably want it just as bad as anyone else. But we all moms, they're just so, you know, that's that's mom. But is that the legacy of a mom? Or is the legacy of a mom that she stood behind her husband and she made him into a man? Is it that my mom, man, she was strong. You didn't want to cross her. She was going to stand up for whatever happened, you know. Man, she'd stand with my dad and get the what had to happen, get that done. Is that what is that her legacy, or is it that my mom loved dad like you wouldn't believe, and she was behind him and supported him, and they made such a team? What what is the greater legacy? <coughs> and just as loving your wife as Christ loved the church is the hardest thing that a husband will ever do. This is the hardest thing a wife's ever called to do. It's not necessarily a, a fun thing. It's a perhaps a struggle. And you know, our society doesn't even aspire to this today. Our society doesn't even think this is a good thing to do. In fact, they think it's a really wimpy thing to do. You know, why would you do that? That's something to despise. One book I read said that Submission and leadership were part of the curse. You know, we didn't have that until man sinned. If man hadn't sinned, we wouldn't have to submit. No, I don't think that's true. I think that submission and leadership were God's design. We were designed that way. God made man to lead. 
said that his wife was to be a helpmate for him. She was to help him to reach his fullest potential. That is what she is designed to do. That's her purpose in life. And that is not to be any mean, any way demeaning or... It's, that's not the point. But it's someone to compliment him and to help him. And our fallen nature has made it more difficult to do. It has made it more difficult to submit. It's also made it more difficult to lead. They say that the, uh, the woman's baseline of what she functions out of is, is worry. Think about that a little bit. I think it's probably true. The baseline that a man works out of is apathy. It'll be fine. You know, my wife's like, what about this here? Oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Sound familiar? Yeah, I think there's some point to that. But we were designed to lead. We were supposed to be the leaders in the home, and we just want to come home and check out at the end of the day, and that's, that's what we, that's where our tendency, where we tend to go. But the greatest gift that you can give your children is to submit to and reverence your husband. That's the greatest thing you do. And you were designed to do that. You were made to do that. That's the way you are most fulfilled is if you do that. And you're like, oh, no, I, I want to... No. You'll be most fulfilled if you do what you were designed to do. And Satan has tried to convince us that, you know, I'm the most important. All of us. We all have that tendency. We want, we're the most important. We know what's going on. We're the smartest guy around. You know, our church is old-fashioned. The boss is wrong. The policeman is stupid. The judge is biased. The president's not my president. No, uh -uh. You hear that recently? No, he's not my president. And we even get apologetic ourselves sometimes when we think of... You ever have someone in the world come up and say, so why does your wife have to do this? Or did you... What was the question posed this morning, you know? So if... You expect your children to obey. Do you expect your wife to obey in the same way? You know, so how do you explain that? I was working for a lady this winter. A little different. A lot different, but anyhow. So one day, just to kind of open up doors a little bit, I just commented that, you know, I would have some difficulties with some of the theology of the Catholic Church. Where I, I just, I didn't badmouth it. I just, open the subject, you know, give a little doorway to... And she's like, so what don't you like? You know, and I says, well, so I suppose you don't like Virgin Mary. I says, no, I agree that Mary was a virgin. I, later I thought maybe she was thinking we were talking about worshiping Mary, but anyhow, I said, I, I, I'm okay with Mary being a virgin. I said, I really struggle with communion. That is just... Uh, it's just blasphemy to me. I just, I don't know, I sit in a Catholic funeral or something and I just want to rise up and go up to like George Blorock did, you know, and start preaching. Oh yeah, she says we don't we don't believe that. Okay. A little bit later, she pokes her head around the corner, and looks up the stairway. She says, "I'll tell you one thing. I disagree with you on. It's the way you treat your women. You make them submit." And I, and she's, oh, okay. So what do you say? Well, yeah, I know that's kind of old fashioned. It's kind of you know. Well, so you say, or you say, no, this is the way God made it, and this is the way. It, and let me explain it to you. And so I try to give a positive spin that this is. I wasn't apologetic, but sometimes like, you know, that is not accepted in our society. It's like, well, we just kind of, yeah, we get apologetic, or we can. My wife came to visit one day. They hadn't even been introduced yet. 
and it was winter time, and my wife came walking up outside, and Jean looked at her and said, I don't like it the way your church won't let you wear pants when it's cold. That's the first thing she told my wife. <laughs> She's sure that we're just some kind of wackos. Someone has said that submission was a custom of the Old Testament. It was a method to keep women oppressed and does not apply in the 20th century or in any century to come. Is that right? So because you're supposed to submit your wife to your husband? No, you're not supposed to submit to your wife, by the way. Does that mean you're inferior? That means you're subservient? I don't think so. It's the way you reach your fullest potential. It's the greatest gift you can give to your children. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. One of the subjects that I teach at Bible school is 1 Corinthians. And this year, the girls had a tea party during my class period, so all the girls were gone and it was just guys. So we pulled our desks in a little circle there. There was only like four or five of us. And we was about ready for this chapter. And so I went there and I we read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also under, saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands a home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. So I said, so what do you guys think of that? The one guy says, that's, that's really brutal. That's, that's nasty. Someone says, so what's, wonder what other translations say. And the first guy says, I already looked. It isn't any better. <laughs> I says, well, I didn't say this. This is what God said through Paul. This is a, okay. So my, my challenge to you in the, is, as men, what kind of a leader should you be so that your wife is comfortable with her role? And so that's what we talked about, was how they should lead out and be godly men so that their wife is, is, is comfortable with this, with this role. One of the, it was it was interesting their their take because it it showed me their mindset. They were thinking the the one guy especially that said this was brutal. He had been he went to public school and and uh, was in college. And when he started dating, he asked his girlfriend. He says, "So don't you feel bad that you got to wait for us guys to ask you, you know? And don't you wish you could like ask the guys or something, you know?" And and she's like, "No," she says, "I like it this way," but. His influence was from the, the secular influence. That's, that's what he was thinking about. I shared with them a story that John Piper uses. I'm not going to endorse everything John does, but I, I did get the illustration room, so I will give him credit for that. He does a very good job of explaining the role of men and women. And I heard a message from him talking about complementarianism, how that we are designed, we are made to complement one another. We are designed, that's the way God made us. The man is designed to lead and that's his bent. That's the way he wants to do things. The woman is designed to follow. That's the way 
her bent is. And she appreciates a man who leads out. And so to illustrate the principles of Scripture, John made up a story. He says, so imagine you're in a youth auditorium, your youth function or whatever, and you have a church full of people and you have these two young guys in the back, young people in the back, and he's kind of noticed her before. And so he says, would you like to sit with me today? So she looks at him and says, hmm, nice looking guy. Yeah, I guess I could, I could do that. Uh, maybe this isn't the way you go about your dating relationships, but well, for sake of the story here, you can follow along. So they sit together. And he's paying attention to the way she's seeing and her reverence in the service. And he's noticing these things. And she likewise noticing him. You know, I know there's a dating couple here, so I won't put you on the spot. But, you know, you know how this works. If you've been there before, you're kind of a little, hmm, little nervous and not sure, you know, but you can't watch him. I kind of like that. And I hope he doesn't do that all the time. And <laughs> so they kind of got this thing going on. And so after church, he says, how about we walk down to whatever little cafe down here a few blocks away and I'll buy lunch for you. He said, uh, do you have any plans? Would that work? So he's initiating. He's, he's kind of leading out on this. But he gives her an option to bail if she has. So he asked her if she had any plans. She could have said, well, yes, I have plans and, you know, I've had enough of you. Didn't. But no, he gave her the option and she said, sure, I would, I would like to do that. So they're walking down the street and they're visiting and, and he discovers, oh, this doesn't go with Mennonite theology here, but he discovers she has a black belt in karate and she's like, you know, one of the top in the nation. She's really good. And they're visiting and kind of a rough neighborhood and a couple guys come out and say, hey, you there, I would like your wallet and uh, your purse too. We'll, we'll take both of those. And so he's like, okay, we'll just give him, just give him the wallet. You know, just, be, just let him go. And then they say, you know what, and that girl's kind of pretty. Maybe we'll take her too. And so him being knowledgeable that she has a black belt in karate, he just steps back and says, uh, take him out. Think that's what he's going to do? How many of you men are going to, that's what you're going to do? Tell your wife, ah, you, you do it. You know, I couldn't do that. Take him out. Is that what you're going to do? Uh-uh. The man's not going to do that. The man's, he's like, like absolutely, you you know what? You ain't touching her except over my dead body. You grabs her, pulls her back, says, no, you ain't touching this girl. And they knock him out cold. They just lay him out on the street, you know? And he comes to and he's in the ambulance. This is all a made-up story to fit the, the principles here. So you can do it with whatever story if you want because it's made up. So he comes to in the ambulance and uh, enough to see if the two guys, you know, she's, deck them. They're, they're flat out cold too, you know. But she's in the ambulance and she's sitting beside this guy and she says, you know what? There's something about this guy I like. He's willing. He took some initiative and he asked to build a relationship. He's willing to take me for lunch. He's willing to stand up for me even though he's kind of a wimp, you know. He's not very much... 
you know, I had to take care of these guys, but you know. But this is the kind of guy I like. I like someone who's going to lead out. There's, there's something in a man. You know, our society says that when you go out for eat to eat, it's kind of well. When you go on a date today in our world, if the guy wants to pay for it, that's the meaning to the lady. You know, because she, I can pay myself. I went to the lumberyard the other day. And a lady got there before me, and she opened up the door and said, "Go ahead." Mm. <laughs> that just did just did not. That's just not right. We men are we we want to open the door for the lady. We want to protect the lady. We 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 want to lead. That's the way we're made to do it. We're not made to stand back and said, "Take him out." No, we want we want to lead. We want to be in charge. And there's something about a lady that even though she's got a black belt in karate, this is a really poor method illustration, I know, but even though she has a black belt in karate, she really admires the man who's willing to stand up and give his life for her. That's what a woman likes. That's the way we're made. God made us that way. We're designed that way. We are designed to lead. Men are designed to lead. They're designed to provide. They're designed to protect. And the wife appreciates those things. Biblical leadership is the husband's divine calling to take primary responsibility in servant leadership, provision, and protection. Primary responsibility. That doesn't mean that my wife isn't competent. You know, years ago, my mom used to do the book work. And so when the money came in and there was more bills than money, she sweated. Well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And finally my dad, and, and my mom's a bookkeeper, okay? She, before she was married, she did bookkeeping for the public school system. Hundreds of thousands of dollars before the days of computers. You know, stacks of checks every month to go through and, and ledgers all in, all paperwork, not computers at all. She's very competent in bookwork. But it became that it was stressful for her because there wasn't enough money to pay the bills and knowing what to do, and so my dad says, Okay, I'll take I'll take care of the bills. You can still balance your checkbook, but I'll I'll take care of the bills. She's not responsible for that. He let out and she's like, huh. Now she's more competent into book work. She's done book work book the business stuff all through the year. She end of the year she does all the still does it pencil. She's more competent, but he's the leader. He's the one that leads out. He's the one that says, let's do this, or let's talk about this. And, and like John Piper says, says, so that this, she's more confident than Jewish. So you say, well, I can't lead her in family devotion. She went to college and she had, you know, she went to Bible school for 12 weeks and she knows way more than I am and I only have a third grade education. I can't read. He says, you still lead out. You say, let's have devotions. And then you say, here, you read this passage because he can't read. But he's in charge. He's leading out. But he's letting her use her gifts, her knowledge, her ability to read, her ability to do whatever, to complement and they work together. If Jesus came to your house and you're having some marriage problems, <coughs> he wouldn't come in and talk to the wife. And she has problems too. You're both sinners. But he doesn't come and talk to the husband and say, you are the leader. You are responsible. That is your calling. But the wife is designed to submit and to 
reverence. It's the way we function best. Sound good? So what if your husband's a slouch and he doesn't do what he's supposed to do? What if he doesn't lead out in devotions and you want devotions and he won't do it? Do you nag him? Let's back up a little bit. So who said you're supposed to submit and reverence? Okay, this is class time. Who said you're supposed to submit and reverence? God did. Okay? Did God make mistakes? No? Does God know that I'm kind of a lousy, apathetic leader? I would rather come home and check out. Does God know that sometimes we're like that? Yeah? And he still tells my wife that you got to submit to that guy? Does he know I'm not perfect, I'm going to make mistakes? I'm going to do the best I can, I'm still going to make mistakes, does he know that? Yeah? But he still tells my wife she should submit and she should reverence me. So our faith is not, my wife's faith should not be in me that I'm this wonderful, perfect guy, but her faith is in God that God said, you follow this man and you make him out to be who he should be. You support, you submit, you reverence him. Her faith is in God, not in, in this fallible man who makes mistakes. And we probably all know men who are domineering. They're in charge. And you will do what I say, and not just to their children, but to their wives as well. They're very controlling, and there's something about that, there's something in us that rises up, and we want to go to the defense of that wife and children and stand up for them. We're like, that's not right, and it's not right. They should not act like that. But on the opposite side, we also know families where the lady's in charge. She wears the pants. And he does what she says. And there's something in me that doesn't quite sit right with that either. It's not right. It's not the way God designed it. This customer I mentioned earlier, we were having a meeting trying to figure out the design for their downstairs bathroom. It's pretty simple to me, you know, tub, stool, sink, whatever. Um, no, this should have the interior designer there and whatever. And So, interior designer, she's over here and I'm here. And our customer's here and her husband's behind her. And she's like, well, Jerry wants this and this and this and this. And I can't even, you know, it's just like, it's so dumb and stupid and... and she was, that's the way she was talking, just in front of him. I was kind of like, okay, awkward, you know, don't know where to look, you know, you don't want to look like... But after I left that day, I wasn't down the road a quarter mile and my phone rang. And Sherry, the interior designer, called me up. She said, did you see Jerry? She said, he was just beat red. She said, he was so embarrassed. She was just sticking him down. And I wasn't looking at Jerry. I was too embarrassed. I was looking at the floor. I was kind of embarrassed by the situation myself, you know. And that's just not right. You know, and she was like, she's like, I don't believe in divorce, but I tell you what, I, I certainly wouldn't blame him if he wanted to divorce her, you know? There's something in us that just says that's not right. There's two brothers I've met 
don't know either of them well. They came from. They both came from a godly home, and uh, tall, manly men, real men. Um, both have been involved in ministry in their lives, and the first one I I was uh, I heard share on a ministry him and his wife were involved in, and he was sharing, and I was supposed to speak next, and he kept apologizing. He's like, I'm almost done, Tony. I'm almost done. I'm like, no, keep going. I'm, I was enthralled with the ministry he was talking about, the things he was doing, things him and his wife had done throughout their lives, and I was just blessed and encouraged. And, and he was up there. It was, it was great. I really enjoyed what he had to say. And then afterwards, we was discussing with his, him and his wife, and they made such a good team, and they worked well together. His brother... It was from an equally plain church. He's more subdued. He's equally as tall, but he's somewhat stooped. Lacking in confidence. And he's controlled by his wife. She calls the shots. Even simple really I won't go into any detail but even very simple things such as who gets out of the car when and if he doesn't do what she says bodily harm will be inflicted two brothers one confident with a joyful, happy wife, she's not a, she's not being suppressed or anything. And one brother whose wife is in charge, and neither one of them are happy. One is demoralized. And you know, wives, you have power that maybe you don't even think about. You can demoralize your husband pretty quick. You know, he says, let's do this. Well, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, I guess if you don't want to do it, we don't have to do that. Let's do this. I don't want to do that either. I don't know. After he do that a couple times, and he's like, well, okay, then I guess I'll read my book. She can do what she wants to do. He's just, he's just not going to lead out. If you keep squashing everything he wants to do, President, he just says, well, okay, I, I guess I'll give up. We're, we're kind of wimps, us guys are, you know? But if you get behind us and support us, you can make your man a man. You can, you can make him who he should be. And then he's going to want to lead and he's going to want to protect you and he's going to want to take care of you. That's the best gift you can give your kids. You've got a happy home. So what are the fruits of that? <clears throat> I alluded to that already. And that's working together. You know, I, I told our customer last winter, I said, you know, I don't think I've ever told my wife, this is what we're doing. And that's the end of the discussion. I don't think I've ever done that. I said, we discuss things. So what about this? And so well, let's talk about it. So we talk about it and we discuss it and we throw things back and forth. And it doesn't mean we always agree on everything. But we work it out. We come to a mutual understanding, a mutual way of doing it. And that gives me confidence because I can lead out knowing that my wife's supporting me. But it also gives her confidence because she knows that, she's, that I'm willing to listen. So... One time I went to buy a van 
And I called my wife and says, hey, I found such and such a van. What do you think? She says, I have no clue anything about a van. I mean, I don't know. I know she doesn't know anything about vans. But I still want her opinion. I want to, I, I want to hear what she has to say. And she can feel confident knowing that she has a voice. There's one church I'm aware of where there was some disagreement in church and the person who could best vocalize the opposition in the church to the ministry, the one who could best vocalize the opposition was solidly behind the preachers. Okay? It didn't mean he agreed with everything they said. But I heard about one Sunday that there was some... The preachers were discouraged. They were weren't quite sure what to do. So who'd they call? They called this guy over here who could best vocalize the opposition. And he wasn't like hammering against him, but he could best articulate kind of what people were thinking. That's the guy they called and said, we're discouraged this morning. Could you lead out in the service and have a prayer time for us? He was supporting. He didn't mean he agreed 100%, but there was a relationship there and he was supportive of them even though he didn't agree perfectly. So when you submit, when you reverence your husband, it gives you a voice. They want to hear your perspective. You see, if you're, if you're always nagging at your husband, praising he's just like, well, okay, if I say this, she won't want that, so I'll just, I'll just have to brace myself and say, well, I'm going to do it anyhow. But if you listen and you, he wants to hear what you have to say, he's a loving husband, right? That's what he's supposed to do. It's what we want to do. So being a mother is a great responsibility. I, I think, I don't know, is it easier to be a dad than a mom? I, I like that opportunity, that, that last piece of pie. You know, I don't have to feel guilty if my wife says, here, we'll let dad have it. That's what dad's supposed to do. He gets the pie. I'm being facetious, but I really, I really think I'd rather be a dad than a mom. That's, a lot of work to be a mom. My wife was gone the other morning. She came home and was like, oh, that's good. I like that. You know, and, and you as moms, like I said, kind of your baseline is worry. You know, you worry about this and what about the kids and what about that and what about the other thing. And, and you can stress about things and try to get your husband to do all the things that, that you need done. And, and husbands, your wives notice things that we don't see. You know, so just because your wife brings up something doesn't mean she's nagging. She's just making the observation. And perk up. Listen to it. Pay attention to it. But you wives can stress out sometimes. You get all, all bent out of shape. You know what? Let your husband lead. Let him, let him do what he's supposed to do. Biblical leadership is the husband's divine calling to take responsibility and leadership, provision, and protection. And submission is the wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and a partnership to help carry that out. That's what you're called to do. That's the way you're made. That's the way you'll be best fulfilled. So I submit to you this morning that you as mothers, you want to be the best mom you can? Reverence your husband. Be in submission to him. Someday your children will say, you know what? Mom loved Dad. There was nothing. she she was behind him one hundred percent. She that's the thing that will stand out, and that's a whole lot better than you know what Dad used to do this, and Mom snuck us candy bars afterwards to help us feel good. Big difference there. There's a big difference there. May God bless you as moms, as you 
fulfill your role. And it's a godly role. It's, it's, it's what you should aspire to be. Trying to write a... I, I attempted to write a letter to our judge to make my case why I should be allowed to adopt the little one that we have rather than grandma who's not married and whatever. You know what? I need a biblical reason to do that. In our society today, all the reasons I had didn't make any sense. You need, you need the Bible. And it just is life-changing. When you have the Bible and you understand the Bible, the world thinks it's nuts. I don't know what, what the judge thinks about it, what his view is. But as the world looks on and thinks, you guys are crazy. But a wife who loves her children, stays at home, makes it a godly home, supports her husband, that's life-changing. That gives a home like the world doesn't know. Let's kneel together for prayer. Lord, we have been so blessed. Many of us have had godly mothers and fathers. Lord, they have left examples. Lord, for those who have not had those examples, you have given us your spirit to change us and make us into what you want us to be. And we are also blessed to be here this morning, Lord, with your word, your foundation. Lord, it's life-changing, and we have something to offer to the world. It's nothing to apologize for. It is is an anchor. Thank you for the way that you have designed that. Lord, give us grace that we as men can lead and love as you have loved and led. Lord, give our wives much grace as they work in the home each day and take care of the children and those pressures. Lord, give them wisdom. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of motherhood and you bless each mother here today. And Lord, we think too of those mothers who do not have a children today that you would minister to them in some way as well. Lord, bless this congregation here. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and to be encouraged and share together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.